All right, welcome back to another episode of the USL show. It has been a long week, it feels like. Uh, it's good to see everybody back on the screen. I know coming into today, we all thought we kind of knew what we were going to talk about. Tulsa gets a new coach. Phoenix still was bad. Um, there's an announcement, and I bet you thought that was going to be the biggest news. Wrong. It's Pogba's brother. He's wearing a 901 shirt, reading a ransom note. You're wrong. I, because why? Screw you. That's why. The USL exists, baby, and that's what we're here for. But before we can get too far into that, uh, my wonderful co-host for the day, um, John, I haven't seen you in a while, man. How you been? Yeah, I've been good. I was out last week amidst um, fourth ceiling leak in three weeks and then family visiting, but happy to be back. Got everything sorted. Had a good time. Well, I mean, as long as it's uh, sorted and not going to be a fifth one next week, I guess that's good. Um, Alan, yeah, it'll start. It'll start raining during the show. So, oh, wonderful. I was, I was about to ask: uh, Are those two related, the ceiling leak and the family visiting? <laughs> is, is that things got a little wild no and the ceiling decided to leak? <laughs> I don't know things are all right. It's um, abnormally really hot in San Diego. We missed like the first wave of like the heat in the United States, and we're like we were fine in San Diego, and now they're like, mm, karma. You guys lived it up too large, and it is. Warm and my house does not naturally come with air conditioning. Uh, so it is uh, the one thing you do on a podcast, right? You start talking about weather, um, brings everyone in, makes everyone feel connected. Everything's all right. School started, starting to get in the groove. And um, much like some of the soccer teams we're going to talk about today are, are, are hitting that groove. Yeah. Um, if it goes anything like today, it could also be like some soccer teams and it's just quickly falling apart. I've had a few fun uh, middle school stories to share. It's, uh, it's been a blast, absolute blast. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I uh, finally got the third kit for Tottenham uh, that came in yesterday. I got it with the Champions League badges on the side and with our Danish midfielder, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg's name on the back. So I'm pretty pleased with the one. It's the eighth Tottenham kit that I have, and I don't think I have enough. Do you have a 901 kit yet? When they get more creative with them, I will buy one. <laughs> I was say, I also own a white T-shirt. <laughs> Maybe that's what Pogba's brother was doing. He was looking for the white T-shirt to look like he was the one being held ransom, and the 901 was just the closest thing he had. I mean, it's very possible. Is the, the Terminex still the ad? Maybe it's a sign that he was trying to terminate his yeah. brother. Maybe it's all subliminal. He's trying for that. It's like, going way over my is, head. It's not, even a, it's not even a good-looking kit. Like, why does he <laughs> own that? Like, Florian played for Atlanta United too. That's a rival, I guess. Even though no one cares about United, everything about this is just weird. I mean, Nicholas Murray said they never even played each other. So I guess apparently he never even played nine hundred one when when they played against Memphis. So maybe. Maybe he was just watching the league. Maybe he's just a degenerate like the rest of us and just watches the USL for fun. I don't know. <laughs> that It's fine. Um, on top of family wars going on, uh, I guess good thing they don't have Thanksgiving in France because that would be an awkward one coming around. We also have some soccer wars, and the USL has taken, has taken a step forward 
by snatching Jacksonville out of the grubby little hands of MLS Next Pro, which, I mean, MLS Next Pro deserves to go down on the font alone, and I'm going to die on that hill forever. Um, But, yeah, it seems like Jacksonville is coming along with uh, Tim Tebow, who is probably a very extremely minority owner, if I was to make an assumption. I mean, you didn't think the famous uh, New York Mets outfielder um, had a huge stake in the team? I So, the Jacksonville – I know he's from Jacksonville, and they're announcing their own stadium, which is cool, which we talked about pre-show. It is the announcement of an announcement, which everybody loves. Um, they wouldn't be playing on the Jumbo Shrimp Stadium – which, I mean, the best years of Tim Tebow's baseball career were in double-A, so I feel like that would have been the natural progression. But what do I know? I, I just like that you referred to the MLS Next font in a singular as opposed to what should be pro, uh, in, in the plural, the MLS Next Pro's uh, fonts, because there is for sure more than one in that logo. <laughs> Just to dig into some of the kind of more serious aspects of this, the Armada franchise has kind of always been interesting and semi-controversial. Robert Palmer, when he took over that team in the NASL days, was sort of hellbent on using it as a vehicle to get as much exposure for his law firm as he could through the various television networks in Florida. Um, He's been a little bit weird, much in the same vein as the Cosmos were for this sort of commandeering, not for the benefit of the whole organization kind of mentality. And that's not to say that he wouldn't have been a great owner in the USL. I think he's shown a financial commitment in a way that would have been beneficial. But at the same time, clearly Tim Tebow is somebody who carries the national weight. I'm... I personally kind of grew up as like a Tebow guy in the era of college football that I cared about when I was coming up as a lad. (laughs) But I think that this team, like if they have the intention to build a 15,000 seat stadium in a good location in Jacksonville, sure, it's an announcement of an announcement. We've mentioned it, but that's still a good sign that they're aiming high in that manner. And given some of the red flags with the Armada, there's a reason they're not in the USL at this point. They've been around. So say what you will, but I'm pretty confident that this team is going to come together nicely. Yeah, to me, I mean, if we want to stick with the same uh, college football thing, I mean, they've expanded into New Orleans. Obviously, there's Memphis, which is in Tennessee. There's Alabama teams. I'm sure eventually Georgia will probably be back at some point. Um, now there's Jacksonville, Florida. The USL is just building up. You know, they, there's Kentucky with Louisville and Lexington in League One. They're just building the SEC, and that's fine because in the USL, it truly does just mean more. Um, they, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's. I mean, I I do appreciate that they're expanding to more parts of Florida too. I wish they would. And they've done a good job with Texas. I do wish they would go more into the Midwest and like, which is, would you consider now? This is just me being dumb. Is like Montana in that area still Midwest? Is that just West or is that not West enough to be West? That's like 
Mountain West Great Plains as a Midwesterner here. Okay. See, as, a, as a Westerner, we do not claim Montana. See, uh, that's the yeah. kind of region that I would love to see the USL expand into more. Well, I mean, like obviously, with Iowa. In Montana. <laughs> well, I don't mean Montana specifically, but like South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, that whole area. Um, wasn't now, am I completely making this up? I should probably know this, but I feel like Boise was a thing. There have been yes. rumors about putting teams there. Sounders affiliate was the rumor for a long time. See, that's that's where I want to start expanding to next. I mean, Florida's awesome. Anytime I have an excuse, hey, I can go down to the beach. Love that. You know, that's great. But also, let's start getting into more of the places and bringing, like, a reputable league to some of these other locations, um, like the Mountain West region. I think that could be just absolutely incredible for U.S. soccer and obviously for the league itself. It'll be interesting to see at, at the next couple of years what, what Northern Colorado kind of looks like, because that's kind of the, the places you're you're playing in is these, you know, not not like major media markets, right? And this is kind of the area that I think USL is kind of teeing up is trying to find these second tier media markets to play in that will pull enough people to support like a League One um, or even a you know a borderline championship team. Uh, it also makes it easier to build divisions if you want to build divisions of kind of this this west mountain west you know central east uh, and i think that might be beneficial if you ever want to expand and be able to maybe get to uh, a pro rel conversation of moving people up through these these divisions into conferences at, at the usl level uh, but boise's always been super interesting um, although i don't think western people on the west would consider boise west um, I don't even think Eastern Oregon is considered West uh, to some, uh, but yeah, definitely this like mountain range area. I think Colorado has proved to be a, a pretty uh, successful soccer state. You have, you know, the three levels represented, um, but, you know, maybe a little bit more into Utah where baseball might be a little bit more of a king um, with some of these lower division baseball teams in that kind of area, uh, that mountain West area. But I, I think, you have some really nice opportunities for away days um, and it makes travel maybe a little bit easier for maybe a, a league one team where you're not having to travel back East a whole bunch. You're, you're building up that, that Western half of the United States. And to be fair with kind of just expanding into that location, we do have Spokane on the way for USO one in a few seasons. And that's kind of in that Eastern Washington part of the state right next to the Idaho border. So that is slowly kind of starting to venture your way westward going east. So, I mean, that's a lot of expansion talk. Obviously, we have until 2025, which that does mean that the Hammerheads will be back soon before Jacksonville, correct? 2024 should be the plan. See, I was really confused by this announcement. This is the last comment I'll make about it. They put the Jacks, the J-A-X, in the same color as League One. And then they announced that it was championship, and it was confusing to me. Maybe it's a little bit darker of a blue, but it looks like the League One blue. And then they said it's a championship team. So that just confused me. I, I feel like that was just a small oversight by whoever released it, but I don't know. Could be hinting at a potential uh, just color combination they would run. 
What about um, now? Stop. You've heard this one. What about Tampa Bay Mutiny? <laughs> I think uh, the National Soccer League has taken that one. Oh dang it! <laughs> Such a good name. <laughs> oh man, let's go ahead and talk about the week that was because uh, the week that was was on meth. Um, it it was a stupid week. I feel like the shockers are going to be more of an indication than I, I told you so's. Uh, Ryan, what are some shockers and some I told you so's, my man? I don't know. I would say one of the like really interesting results was that uh, Miami kind of continues their or relatively decent run of form with four wins in their last five and takes down uh, the number one team in the East right now with Louisville with a 1-0 victory uh, midweek, which turned into be a pretty fun match to watch yeah miami's been not great at home like before that win they had 12 games in at home and 13 points so that one was for sure a huge surprise for them to be able to pull off a a win at home and they hadn't been playing they've been playing about a draw on average at home so that was uh quite the surprise you're correct and, man, their defense just looked so good in that game. Louisville, obviously, is one of the better teams in the league in that regard, uh, attacking-wise. And they were missing Wilson Harris, sure. But this Miami team just doesn't give up easy chances. Once they got their defensive core healthy about midway through the year, they've been really stout. The Revis trade has been a big deal for them attacking-wise. They're a team that I kind of put on the fringes of the title contention right now, where if they keep proving it over the next few weeks and they kind of get more goal scoring, a little bit more consistency in attack, they could really be a threat. Yeah. Um, Alan, moving on to you. What were some shockers and told you so? Um, I told everyone that the loyal game would end up 3-1. I just picked the other teams scoring the opposite goal. But this is one of those instances where a team kind of has a a number of the other team that maybe they aren't performing super great. But Oakland always played San Diego really well going back to last season. There was that 4-3-5-4 game that was just outrageous. Uh, I think like two of the goals of the year were nominated from Oakland last year against San Diego. Oakland just shows up and plays San Diego really well. Um, You know, John, you put out some pretty good info about how they were able to do that. It was almost like they gave Loyal a taste of their own medicine, exposing, um, you know, the space on the wings to really kind of break down the defense. That first switch was amazing. Really nice first touch to open the scoring uh, for Oakland. Um, And, you know, I think personally with guys like Emmer Clementa, uh, Americ- and Tarek Ter- Morad, who came through San Diego, there is still a little bit of like, I know San Diego fans are, are sad, but it's always nice to see those those guys be successful, particularly um, uh, Tarek Morad and Emmer Clementa were really vocal um, in the COVID year when they walked off the pitch. Uh, so there's always a little bit of love for those guys when they perform well, and they always seem to step it up again against Loyal too. Um, so it was it was a shock, but it wasn't like, a huge surprise like you're like oh well here comes oakland oakland's gonna do well against san diego again it just seems to be they they understand how to play against that team and they they looked really really fun to watch um i think nicholas murray put up the xg that san diego won the xg 
but I think that just shows like how well Oakland exploited the the, the openings they had um, and and played kind of fun soccer. It was it was an entertaining game on both sides. I was disappointed by the result, but I, I thought Oakland uh, put up a, a really good game and, and were really fun to watch. And particularly, it's yeah, particularly after what had just happened with their coach as well. Like I think there was a lot going into that game. It was really nice to see them rally around each other. And Oakland uh, last lost to San Diego in June of 2021. This was five consecutive games now since uh, that match that Oakland has gone unbeaten against the Loyal. Yeah, this is, we talked about it last week, and I did not realize that the Phoenix game was the second match, or not the Phoenix, um, the Sacramento match was the second match after uh, the Juan Guerra move. I didn't realize that this one was right after, but we talked about it before though, that in professional sports, anytime that a coach gets removed, whether it is by fire, by resignation, by transfer, whatever it is, always bet that the other team is the team that just had the coach removed is going to win. If you decide to look at Vegas odds, they know that they bump those odds up like crazy. It's just there's something about the way the team responds after that happens. Uh, watching this Unless match, you're born, <laughs> well, that <laughs> yeah. Um, the one that really stuck me that stuck out to me, and I think you mentioned him a little bit, Alan, was uh, Clementa. Watching him in that like three back system that really wasn't a three back system had him more playing as like a defensive midfielder at times. It was really cool to watch. There's something about watching two like three man back lines go at it. Cause seeing two different ways of going about it with Oakland, you saw that the wide center backs were getting up a lot more. Meanwhile, San Diego, they are a true three-man back line. They'll sometimes go up, but they are just a straight line back there. Kind of similar to how Miami uses their back line at times. But I, Oakland was really interesting to watch, and they, whenever they're right, they have to be one of the most fun teams to watch in the USL. Yeah, just to jump in on the whole week that was for Oakland, I think San Diego is a uniquely good matchup for the way that they play. Their whole offense is predicated on what you get with Juan Azucar and Edgar Rito overlapping in those wide areas. And given that San Diego increasingly has preferred a pretty pure 3-5-2 shape with those higher players in the wide areas, that left ample room for those two to get in behind. And when you add in the additional threat of a Clementa, a Morad, who are so capable on the ball. And meanwhile, San Diego isn't a team that really plays past you at speed with these passes over the top. They're either going to possess you to death or play into hold up from a Kyle Vassell. It was a good game for Oakland to really find their feet under Noah Delgado. And the complete opposite played out against Sacramento at the weekend where the Republic were willing to just sit back in that super defensive 5-4-1 sort of formation. They had Keko and Rodrigo Lopez hug much wider than they typically do to give themselves that advantage against those Rito and Ezekar overlaps. Oakland, again, to cite the Nicholas Murray XG tweets, 
I think got less than half an expected goal. Sacramento just completely stifled everything they do. I was hoping to see Oakland kind of carry that momentum into the weekend and pull off a result just because it would be a cool story, but it's going to be a tight race for them for sure. And they're really going to need some luck down the stretch, I think. So John, how about your shocks and told you so's? Yeah, I mean, the shock for me has to be Indy 11 getting that one nothing win over San Antonio. Yeah. Indy has subtly improved in form, even if the results hasn't hadn't reflected that. But to have them get a win against the best team in the league on points alone is kind of crazy. San Antonio sort of has an issue on their right side right now where they can't stay healthy. They're switching personnel constantly. And whenever they concede, it comes down that flank. But I mean, credit to Indy, who has found this diamond shape. The acquisitions they've made with Juan Tejada, with Sean Lewis and Net, have energized this team in a way that has them looking like a kind of classic Mark Lowry El Paso side. So I was surprised to see it, but I guess the warning signs were there, just given what the 11 have been doing. Yeah, I know he only played for the 45 minutes, but uh, I want to mispronounce his name. Number five, uh, Delem. I think it's how you pronounce it. Yeah, Jordan Delem. Yeah. Um, seeing how far he was dropped back for that first 45 was weird. It, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. He... I mean, he was a, a defensive midfielder that was just kind of playing center back. Meanwhile, Maloney was, like, pushing up higher than him a lot of times. It's like they just got them confused on the starting lineup and just decided midway through, hey, how about we just switch what we're doing and not play the position coach told us to. It was bizarre to watch. Obviously, the second half came through, and DeLem wasn't playing anymore, but – it that was that was a weird first half, and that's all they needed was the first half, and then Indy just, you know, just shut them out from there. It's just their third shutout of the season, and of their five wins, it's the only one they have against a team currently in a playoff position. Yeah, and and Kaylor to speak to that, if you go to the average position on the USL website, uh, Dilemma is the furthest back of the uh, outfield players. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. So, like, you're what what you saw is what what uh, whoever is plugging into the computer as far as average positions concerned that further back than either any three of the uh, center center backs, um, and you know Connor Maloney was almost as you know connected more to the midfield than than the back line. Uh, although there is a kind of a nice four shape with like, the five kind of being a zit out of the back. Um, so there was there was definitely some formation things that maybe led to um, some confusion, some head scratching. Uh, but yeah, this has got to be a huge surprise. Although, you know, West Coast teams traveling east, um, we, we've seen that bite people uh, a few times. Um, but you would you would think that a team like San Antonio would be able to to hold their own um, against an Indy Eleven. I mean, look. There's some things, I mean, we all know that San Antonio is all about conceding possession, but they didn't do that here. They held it pretty much dead on 
something that I don't know. I when I was watching the match, I couldn't figure it out if it was Indy just bogging it down in the midfield or if San Antonio just could not connect anything together. It, it everything that was Indy was doing, it looked like it was just stuck in the midfield. And San Antonio looked beyond frustrated by just not being able to move the ball. When it was in the uh, the Indy defensive third, it was almost treated like a small celebration by, you know, kind of the players themselves. You could see a visual pickup of, okay, we're attacking now. We're no longer stuck. It, it was a weird watch. And, hey, full credit to Indy. This isn't more, this is not really me saying what's wrong with San Antonio. San Antonio is going to be fine. I have no doubt in that. It's just, even when I watched it and I decided to look back at some of the stats at it, even though the stats match what I watched, I'm still equally as confused. And San Antonio still ended up clutching a playoff spot. Right. I think the red flag for San Antonio is that they might not be capable of coming back if they give up the first goal. This is a team that thrives on the counter, and they really don't have that ability to break you down in these set scenarios where teams are willing to park the bus. And maybe the Christian Pirano acquisition, as he gets readjusted to this team and to their tactical style, ends up being the piece that can add that element of creativity in these kind of slower tempo scenarios. But I think it's something to watch right now for San Antonio. No doubt. Um, So both of my, of my matches are coming from league one. Um, My told you so was, I think a lot of our told you so's, which was Richmond, obviously some injury stuff with uh, Omaha. We hate to see that, but a 3-0 win for Richmond was impressive to say the least. It was a dominating performance by the kickers. And it's been a while since I've seen Union Omaha truly out of their element like they were. They were still trying to push those wings. They were still really trying to, you know, attack out wide. But and then, you know, really narrowed down the middle. But something that Richmond was doing, I just, they was just shutting it down. And Richmond were nice and clinical with their chances. And, I mean, as clinical as you can with 15 shots, I guess. But it always looked like they were going to put it in the back of the net. Um, that was my told you so. And it's the 11th time this year that Richmond has scored multiple goals in a match, and I believe just going back through all those games, every game that they've scored multiple goals in, they've taken at least a point from. So um, professional advice, if I was a manager, I would just simply tell my team to not allow the other team to score. Um, That's what I would do as a coach. Well, that Um, whole match, it felt like Omaha was, for some reason, just so passively sitting back and seeding control in the midfield. When you give that much time to Bolaños, when you let the ball get into Tezagi's feet, you're asking for trouble. And time and time again, Richmond was just killing them off of those scenarios. 
Richmond's up to like, I think it's 15 or so in the positive for goal difference. They're tied for the league lead in points. This team is for real right now. And I think we called them pretty early on because this was a team that they didn't have a whole lot of turnover from last year. And whenever you have a don't have a whole lot of turnover, you have one or two things that are going to happen. They're going to fall off a cliff because they've been around each other too long, nobody to shake things up, or they're a team that truly believes in each other and they're going to take off. And I believe Richmond were going to be the one that take off. And I know to your point, I mean, just having time, the, where those goals came from, two of them were as point blank as it gets. <laughs> what are you supposed to do as the keeper? I mean, it it was a rough match to watch if you're an Omaha fan. But as a Richmond fan, I, I don't – I mean, I'd be stoked, obviously. You've taken down what is arguably the best team in the USL, and you firmly submitted your stamp, especially with my shocker of the week, which is Greenville going down to Northern Colorado. And Northern Colorado was just better. <laughs> I it was at, at Triumph Stadium. Um, you know, it was at a legacy early college. So you can't just say, well, we weren't prepared for the, you know, the high altitudes, whatever. You can't say we didn't know where we were gonna play because they have 18 different stadiums. It Northern Colorado just came out and played better. I don't even think that Greenville necessarily played poorly. They just just got outplayed, which we haven't seen that from Northern Colorado, frankly, in a long time. And I'm a bit surprised it came against Greenville. But if you're a Northern Colorado fan, you there's a lot to put your hat on this one. I really like the goals from Northern Colorado. I mean, you're right totally that they kind of controlled the game, but both of them were pretty exceptional moments. That Irvin Para header where – I mean, he's no one's idea of a really brilliant aerial threat, <laughs> but he got up on that first goal. The second one was a banger. It goes to show that, I mean, no matter what, if you're controlling the game, you're going to get the chances to go in the net eventually, no matter what it is. Greenville's in a bit of a funk right now. They're Like you said, they're not playing poorly, but they've just lost a bit of that spark and that connection that they had early season. And I fully expect them to rebound at some point, but it needs to come soon. Yeah, I mean, just seven games left, and Greenville only has two wins in their last five. Yeah, the biggest thing, and kind of to your point, you know, put uh, put shots on goal, they're going to go in eventually unless somebody you're just awful at shooting or a keeper has the day of his life. But if you look at the shots they had, they – weren't just shots in the box they were shots in front of net that were close to net that were either blocked off barely missed or you know keeper makes a good save on this is it was just one of those matches for northern colorado obviously you have a banger outside the box and then you know Barra getting a nice header it that is kind of what it is i guess if you're greenville but greenville i'm not going to say that they need to be careful going into the playoffs because they're going to lose. Cause I don't, I still think in my head right now, I still have, if they don't, if depending on the bracket, whatever my playoffs, my playoff final would still be Greenville versus Richmond. 
but Greenville looks vulnerable, a lot more vulnerable than Richmond does right now. Yeah, you sometimes you just got to chalk it up to honestly bad luck because I just watched rewatched the episode of Ted Lasso where they make fun of saying it's bad luck. Um, but you know, you sometimes you're just up against a, a team where a, a goalie makes a couple really nice saves on shots that usually go in, and maybe this is a draw on a different night. Um, you know, the difference I think right now, Richmond does have 15 goal differential, the other only other team that has uh double digits in the positive is, is the, the, the sad boys. Uh, uh, Red Wolves. Uh, I think the thing that is, is problematic for Greenville right now is they're you know they're only positive two in the goal differential. Uh, they've scored eleven less goals than Richmond has, and that's seems to be if you're going to have a defense that gives up kind of league average goals right now, you're going to have to have a better offense. Um, I think what Union Omaha has in their their pocket is their their defense has just been you know a little bit better over the season, only allowing nineteen over twenty one games. Um, so I definitely think it's kind of a it's it's kind of a top four ish uh, right now, depending on how Union Omaha performs. But Greenville does have to 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 kind of re recapture that magic going into the playoffs because uh, if you fall to that third seed, which they they could very well likely fall to that third seed, uh, you might have to win uh, a game or two on the road uh, to to get uh, another star, and that might be tough knowing that in League One. Um, that's been one of the few consistencies is, you know, usually the home team plays plays better than the away team. Um, and that's been kind of the case with some of these better teams like Richmond had a, a run where they were really good at home, but really poor on the road. Uh, so you definitely want to try and catch some of these teams on the road as opposed to having to go to their house, um, which gives them that advantage. Uh, so Greenville's got to kind of figure some things out a little bit. I think they can, um, but they're, you know, Omaha's on their heels. You know, Red Wolves are not that far behind. In in a couple games, we can we can t- be talking about a Greenville team that might be looking at uh, starting on the road. Yeah, and you're looking at uh, the rest of the month for September. They open it at home against Fort Madison. Then they have three consecutive road games against Charlotte, Omaha, and Northern Colorado. They end the year traveling to Richmond as the final day of the regular season. It's a kind of difficult slate ahead of just very just tricky games that they have that could really kind of just throw a wrench into their plans of finishing top two. And especially when you look at teams like Omaha, Madison, and Charlotte, who all have games in hand over Triumph and two games in hand in the case of Omaha, it could really shift a lot of the playoff talk here in USL one. So before we go into predictions, there's one last match I do want to hit on. And that is the El Paso versus Phoenix Rising match. Because I saw a weird split amongst uh, Phoenix fans on this one, which was, well, we're still crap. And the other ones were, man, we are so unlucky. Like, this was just an unlucky match, unlucky match. Um, You know, I watched this match back. I didn't have a chance to watch it live. But watching this match back, I feel like both are kind of true. <laughs> um, I do feel like this Phoenix team was a bit unlucky. I mean, peppering you know shots like crazy. I mean, that's just what Phoenix has always done. They they rack up their XG, then they just take a crap ton of shots, even not the most amazing ones. 
hoping one of them finds the back of the net. One eventually does. And then, or none of them do in this match, but, or one of them did. No, I'm, I'm not wrong. Cause uh flood scored one. Um, and then they concede three and it's not like you can say they were necessarily crap chances. You let in a header, which is right in front of goal and your two other shots come directly in front of goal when they have a whole goal to shoot at. I'm what's the fix here? I mean, I, if you're a Phoenix fan, do you just have to accept that this season might already be a loss? I will say the uh, defeat this weekend didn't really help things as there is currently on 29 points and it just kind of falls a little bit further outside the playoff picture as you have Las Vegas and El Paso currently tied for uh, 37 at the end of that kind of playoff line for the West. What Phoenix does have going for them are the two games in hand, but just having one win in your last five really isn't helping things, especially when you, you know, just basically a team who has been struggling in El Paso gifted them three points here. Phoenix is a team that all season, and you spoke to it, that has taken a lot of bad shots from distance. They've racked up those numbers, but there's not really been an edge to what they've done. And I was hoping that with Juan Guerra in, they would change up the system a little bit. But you saw the exact same mistakes in defense, the same lack of intensity in the central midfield that was the cause of all three goals and you could have convinced me to, that it was rick shantz playing the exact same system that he had been running i think that phoenix is sort of of the mentality that they're going to ride it out for the rest of this campaign and see what gives because this was such a feckless uninspired performance and i get that el paso for all their ups and downs, is a really talented team that can control games in this manner. But there were sequences where Phoenix just looked so disinterested, so misaligned in that unbalanced 4-2 that they were running. I was, it was disheartening for me to see. Yeah, when you got guys like Santi Morar and Arturo Rodriguez, like scoring a total of two goals between them, um, you know, your midfielder in Aiden Quinn has more goals and more assists than uh, I think both of those guys combined as well. Uh, you know that Phoenix is having some some offensive finishing problems, right? Like this was Phoenix was always the team that kind of outscored you, not always the most like locked down defensively. Like they would have, they would have a good keeper that would would make some saves, but they were never like the the defensive dominant team. That wasn't like their MO, right? They were a good defensive team and a amazing offensive team. So when they had some off moments defensively, their offense, you know, Solomon Asante would, you know, go down there and they would, you know, get their way back into the game. If you think about that 20 game win streak, it seemed like some of the times they were playing from behind and pulling out these miracles to, you know, pull out these wins at the end. And you always kind of believe that the offense had one more goal in them. Uh, and as a, as a team, that scares you, right? Like Phoenix always has one more goal in them, so you're playing a little bit scared, and that's what Phoenix feasts on. And this year, I just don't see that kind of offensive killer instinct that teams are necessarily afraid that Phoenix is gonna, always has one more goal in them. Um, and we, we, we've seen this time and time again with, with Phoenix is just the guys who are there on the offensive side are just not really 
putting in shifts to make back lines really fearful of them. And so I think teams are feeling more comfortable attacking them as well, um, exposing some of those, uh, the shakiness on the backside. Um, and then, you know, you have your midfielders who, you know, I think any of the, you know, either of, you know, Lambert or, or Quinn would pretty much walk into almost every midfield in the league. It, it is, it's just so confusing when you look kind of up and down this team, like you would think that this team would be scoring buckets and buckets of goals and they're just not. Um, and so, so there's definitely a hard look in, and, you know, I, I agree with, with John is, is there's a hard look at the system, what system are you running, but also, you know, maybe there's a refresh uh, happening where you need to find the, the next guys to, to do what got you to where you are. Uh, Cause I mean, Phoenix 2019 was, you know, a really, really fun team to watch offensively. They were just amazing and they were, they had daggers um, and, and now it just doesn't quite feel like it. And so it's just time to kind of reimagine what Phoenix rising could be and, you know, not to, to, to belabor the point of Phoenix rising, but I think they need to do that again. Yeah. Uh, Alan, you'd spoken to it a little bit, just talking about that uh, Phoenix scene, like would always have a goal in them. I think, what like really kind of defines the team this year was the uh, just the five game streak they had from the end of July through the middle of August, where they went five consecutive games with a shutout streak there, and but four of those games were nil nil results, and it just didn't seem like they had that kind of offensive mentality to just kind of find that next goal. Like if that was a team of 2019 past that those they could have changed those results and just see themselves really move up the table and just kind of use that to their advantage to push them towards a playoff spot, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to be that way this year. I mean, with the nine games they have left, three of them come up against just playoff teams, so there are at least winnable games left on the schedule. But I think the damage is done just from what they had previously uh, just played throughout the course of the season. I will say they do play uh, the Baby Bulls and Atlanta United too as uh, a few remaining games, including Atlanta United too on the final day, so relegation battle <laughs> i mean i guess to the last point on phoenix um this is something that everybody said and it's just beating the dead horse and i do want to give el paso a lot of credit i mean before coming into this match i picked el paso to win because el paso is a good team that we're bound to bounce back eventually and it just felt like it was going to be this one um, Phoenix still just hasn't wowed me. And something that John said before, and I think everybody on the show has said before too, Sean's would make great tactical adjustments, but in the end you're relying on your players to do it. And they have players that can do it. They're just not. Whether they're being asked to do something that for some reason they just can't fulfill that or mentally they just don't care anymore. I don't know. But it is kind of hey, what before- – before we uh, get over to predictions, I do want to talk about a team that really is showing that they care at this point, and that would be FC Tulsa, who has come with a new coach. With a new coach, that's exactly where I was going to head with this. I am fired up about everything that Tulsa is doing right now with Blair Gavin coming in. Uh, he's someone with those Phoenix connections. He had been an assistant in that organization for three years. He'd gone uh, over to Columbus Crew and MLS. He'd been promoted there. I had thrown out his name a couple months ago as someone who should be the successor in Phoenix. But I think that everything that Tulsa has done 
culturally since the uh, Michael Ensian firing and the Sandor hiring as the president of that team has been exemplary for what you want out of a USL team that's showing that they care about what happens on the pitch. Every single week they're coming out and giving it their all. They've got their team down to a, hand, a tight rotation of players who are coming with full effort. Dario Suarez especially has come on strong. He was someone who didn't get consistent minutes. He's got, I think, three goals in four games or four and three, something like that. I'm just excited to see, even if they miss the playoffs this year, which is more likely than not, I think they have a real vision going forward, and I just felt the need to kind of throw in a good word for them. Yeah, I think there's there's few names that I learned very early on in my interest in USL that were as well-respected as Sam Dorr's name was. Um, he's part of the reason why I really enjoy USL. Like, he, he was... You on Twitter, he was he has tons of bands, but he's also the guy that's going to invite you to games and and, and try to build uh, supporters. Even like even San Diego and Phoenix, right? He's like, hey, if you're coming out, like let me know. And you know, I have a ton of respect for for what he's done, uh, what what he did in Phoenix, and what what he looks like he's going to do in Tulsa. And you know, I, I think that's a big piece is is hiring the right people. And then allowing them to build that culture that they know how to build. And I agree, John. I think Tulsa is an exciting project to keep an eye on. Uh, they've kind of been a little bit of the league darling that just hasn't quite put it together. Um, you know, the the rebrand was really I thought was really really great and looked really nice. Um, pretty unique colors, pretty unique design, um, but also kind of hopeful. And then it just never quite came together uh, after COVID. And so I'm I'm really hopeful that that Tulsa could put put something together and be really competitive in the East because we need more competitive teams in the East. <laughs> to that point, I mean, this is more than just a Sam Dor to me. I mean, this is that whole ownership like you spoke to, and it's more than just a rebrand. That's a brand new ownership with the crafts. Um, not that one. Um, and they came in and they decided that they were going to really get involved with the community, that they were going to listen to their people I mean, I'm going to mess this up. I think it's their Greenwood Avenue. Um, that whole initiative's incredible. Their mural kits and what that all stands for is incredible. They're trying to do everything right by the fans. And that's been evident since day one with this ownership. And now bringing in Sam Dorr. Um, and now a coach that is really fitting the system of you know, the players and the players are starting to fit that system and the players are buying in and so are the fans again. Um, look, they're doing everything right, right, right now. Ryan, you, you had some of you wanted to drop in the man. Yeah. I mean, I was just, uh, uh, John, you had mentioned just like they may fall short of the playoffs. Uh, just looking ahead on their schedule, they have seven games left uh, for them come against teams that are outside of a playoff picture at the moment. So they could really get this, very close to just kind of make it more exciting down the end of the line. I know it's probably very dependent on how we see Detroit doing for the remainder of their season. And the game that you should always have circled on this will be that September 24th meeting between Detroit and uh, Tulsa, because that could very well decide uh, who's the final team in for the playoffs. And while we're talking about just kind of racing for the playoffs with seven or eight matches to go more or less, we're starting to get to the fun part of the season where we're really looking at real races now. And look, 
the in the West, the race for the final playoff spot is going to be ridiculous. The race for uh, the last home playoff spot looks mostly settled, except for Sacramento and New Mexico United. But listen, this race for the final home playoff game in the East is going to be ridiculous. That is one to keep your eye on, especially with a lot of these teams facing off against each other. I think if you're looking for some fun storylines, the final the final playoff spot in the West and then the final home playoff spot in the East are definitely one genius circle. And a big part of that is, of course, the matches themselves. So let's go ahead and burn through these predictions, why don't we? And... A team that, like we said, has turned it on as of recently, and another team that faltered as of late. A big rivalry match of lots of letters and lots of words that John has memorized, but I still can't, even though I practiced before we started. It's Indy versus Louisville. That's right. The Louisville-Indianapolis Association Football Proximity Contest. <laughs> what is... And what in that... L I P A F C. What was the other one uh, that was brought up? Was it just the contest? Was was that the? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. <laughs> that yeah, so one. I'll go ahead and lead off, and I am completely going against all logic and picking Indy Eleven here. Good I know answer. That Louisville coming off, of, yeah, right. Louisville coming off of a loss is going to want to show that they're for real. Indy having won their first game and about a decade is playing at home on a Wednesday night. And just like that, Louisville city just shut off John's internet. Um, (laughs) Apparently the uh, Marauders army was not very happy with what was just said, but loosely, uh, it appears that John says that Indy is going to win. Um, Alan? <laughs> um, I, I picked Louisville. I think Louisville has too much to lose uh, looking past this game. Uh, Memphis is on their heels. Uh, Tampa Bay is on their heels. Uh, so though, I, I think that first week by is going to be kind of important. Uh, so I think Loose City... Uh, batting down the hatches and, and gets a win here. Yeah, I went with Louisville here as well, and I actually made them my lock for this week. But one of the things I do want to keep an eye on with uh, Louisville is that you have to go all the way back to their 2-1 to victory over Memphis on July 16th to find the last time they scored more than one goal in a match away from home. And if you're looking back through uh, their last three games, they've only scored uh, – with two goals over that time. So I think it's a really interesting contest in Indy 11, especially midweek can give them some fits, but I'll take Louisville in a lock this week. Yeah, I grabbed Louisville here. I did. I wrote down Indy when I first started picking it. And then I just, I just couldn't follow through with it. And because of that, Indy's definitely going to win now. And I'm going to have to live with the regret for the rest of my life, or at least for the next week until I forget that it happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, for all the same reasons that you kind of laid out, Ryan, I also think that Louisville's going to win and by a lot rivalry match, um, 
midweek they need to stay hot so Memphis doesn't catch up to them. It feels like it feels like Louisville's just going to come out firing on all cylinders. Um, speaking of a team that was fought, firing on all cylinders, we have a Rio Grande Valley team uh, taking on a team that we just talked about for a long time who is not doing a whole lot of anything, and that is Phoenix Rising. So I went Phoenix here, which ostensibly is a pick going against form, but that 5 nothing for RGV over the weekend was about the fakest result you're ever going to see. <laughs> Las Vegas got that red card about like 10 minutes into the game. And yeah, RGV looks energized with some of these new signings, but they have barely had an offense all year. I think Phoenix's talent just wins out and carries them to the three points here. Yeah, I'm writing the end of the unbeaten in four run and four run. Um, their last loss was two one on the road to San Diego, uh, where I thought they they, they played pretty well. Uh, putting two up on San Antonio is nothing to blink an eye at. So I'm just gonna ride the hot hand, uh, and plus um, I'm at the bottom of the standing, so I have nothing to lose. <laughs> so I'm gonna go. I, I think RGV uh, maybe can pull something out here, and because they have a chance of really pushing for that last playoff spot now. So uh, they're one of those teams that are right, right in it because uh, they have those two games in hand. So they have a lot to play for here. By the way, RGV undefeated since running into me at the airport. Mm, see, these are the kinds of stats that we need broken down more. This is the important part. <laughs> I mean, I think what's interesting with RGV scoring five was the last time they had scored five goals in a match also came against the Las Vegas Lights in 2019. But if we're talking about like how important form is, you have to go all the way back to the end of the 2021 uh, season when they won four in a row to find the last time they went four matches unbeaten. And you have to go all the way back to that 2019 season to find the last time they went five matches unbeaten. I think Phoenix... Uh, kind of rebounds here and moves above RGV in the table with a win. So I went with Rio Grande here because this is sneaky, a really important match. Um, Rio Grande has their two matches in hand. They win both of them. They are sitting right in eighth, and they are knocking on the door for a playoff match. Um, Phoenix, like we said, has been faltering. Rio Grande. I don't really believe in them, but I believe in them slightly more than Phoenix. Um, my heart of heart really says this is going to be the most dreadful draw we have ever watched in our lives. Um, but because of that, Rio Grande just seems like they're just going to manage to house their way to a victory as they always do. Um, so I went uh, Rio Grande. Next up, we have a another big derby match, and that is New Mexico United versus El Paso Locomotive. I went with the locomotive here. El pa or uh, rather, New Mexico is quietly in kind of poor form, not really getting a ton of results in their last handful of games. I did the tactic show about what they're doing with Amanda Moreno and Preston Tewarteca. That's not happening often enough, and Zach Prince can never quite settle on a system. Whereas, say what you will about the locomotive, but they have that 4-3-3 shape. That trio with Mayors, Covio, and Ryan is finally clicking again after the Richie-Ryan controversy. I think that they're really going to go on a run down the stretch, and I know that Phil was lamenting or cursing them by picking El Paso, but I think they're going to get the win here. 
I thought uh, Phil picked New Mexico. He's, That's what he personally oh, he did. did. He's like doing some karma thing. Yeah, and mm. so um, I told him I was going to pick El Paso on the show to change what I submitted just to mess with him. Uh, but I want to support Phil. Uh, you know, he he's he's been you know hanging out with a small child, and I want him to feel happiness um, and maybe get a nice nice rest. And so I'm going to help him in his reverse jinx. And again, because I have nothing to lose, I'm also picking New Mexico. I don't know why they're not great at home. Like they're one of the worst teams in the West at home. Uh, so I don't know why I'm picking New Mexico, but because Phil asked me to, I guess I'm going to pick. I'm going to stick with New Mexico. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned just how poorly they've been playing at home. Just compared to everything else, uh, that 2-0 win against Monterey Bay on August 20th was their last win at home. But prior to that, you have to go all the way back to July 6th, a 1-0 victory against RGV to find their last victory at home. And just like diving through more of their schedule, what's like the most like striking one to me was that they only have two wins over teams currently occupying playoff spots. And that's Las Vegas and El Paso. They won game one and game two of the season, which is just rather surprising considering just the form both teams are in that they're still both occupying a playoff spot. I went with New Mexico as well, but it's one game that I'm like really not confident on like either result occurring. Yeah. So we kind of mentioned it and we said it, this is a New Mexico team that isn't in good form except for like their first, like three matches of the season. We've been saying that all year long and every single time I look at the standings, I'm shocked that they are sitting either in fourth or fifth. I, I don't know how they keep doing it. And then I look down and El Paso is right there with them. I don't, I don't know how they're in this position because they always feel like they're in a bad run of form. Um, I'm taking El Paso. I'm running the hot hand. I think they look like they're kind of figuring it out again. And it's now that they've finally seen the ball hit the back of the net, I feel like they're about to go on another run. So I'm taking El Paso. Um, <laughs> the next match is a match. Um like I said, I find just as much joy in talking about these matches as I do uh, top of the table. Um, two of the worst teams I have ever seen play in the USL are playing against each other. Uh, one team is the uh, Charleston I Want to Eat a Battery versus the uh, New York uh, Baby Bombs or Vegas Bombs or any kind of bomb I'm going to drink my way to forgetting this match existed. So, I oh man, I want to change live, but I'm going to stick with the fact that I went for a draw here. Charleston consistently just gets completely obliterated in the midfield, and they never, ever change formations to address that fact. I think New York, even though they got dominated by Birmingham in that second half, showed some signs of life that make me think, okay, they're at least going to get a draw here. I think the Baby Bulls have been maybe one of the unluckier teams in the league just in terms of putting together 60 to 70 good minutes and then looking like utter trash in the rest of those games. But I think that Charleston has that same effect, so maybe it cancels out for a draw. 
Yeah, there's only three teams that have been officially eliminated from the playoffs, and they two of them are playing in this game. Uh, but everyone loves a good underdog story, so I'm going to go with the Baby Bulls. Yeah, uh, when I saw this game, this just seemed like it was just it had a draw written all over it. So I think the points are shared. Every time I see Charleston Battery this year, I think about the one random tweet that Tulsa had before the season started about how Charleston fired their old uh, coach out of a cannon. Um, (laughs) And I think about that a lot. And I'm going with the Baby Bulls because right there with you, John, um, I think that the Baby Bulls have been one of the most unlucky teams. They are an 80-minute club the last 10 minutes are just utterly horrible. And luckily for the baby bulls, Charleston might be even worse. So I went with uh, the New Jersey baby bulls. Next up is the team that upset the odds. And another team that did kind of what you expected. We have the Miami FC versus Birmingham Legion FC. I went with the draw here. Both of these teams really thrive on how brilliant their defenses are. If this game breaks one way or another, it'll be the fact that the flexibility that you get with Miami where they're willing to push one of their center backs up the pitch ends up leaving them vulnerable to what you get from Enzo Martinez and Juan Agadello, and you get a goal from the counterattack, from a little bit of hold-up play, something like that. That said, I do think that this is going to be kind of a chess match of a game that ends in a draw. Uh, I'm picking Legion, and I'm locking it, so Kaler doesn't have to. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Legion has actually been uh, sneakily good uh, just playing away from home lately. You have to go all the way back to uh, July 2nd to find the last time they lost a match away from home, and that was uh, 2-1 against Louisville. For that matter, just uh, traveling down to Miami, I feel like that provides them at least a very challenging test to do, but I feel like they're up for it, and I'll take Birmingham to win. So I'm going to back my boys, but if I'm being blatantly honest, I don't really believe in my prediction. I do think this is going to end up being a draw. Um, Last time that Legion played Miami, it was a draw, and it comes down to the same reason that uh, Detroit beat Legion before. And it's that Miami is not afraid to park the bus at times. And when they do, Legion just can't break it down. They've never been able to. And it's hard for anybody to. There's a reason why it's it's a tactic that works. I mean, Jose Mourinho won a whole Champions League on top of it. Um, It's something that works and Legion just can't break it. But I do think it's a little bit different this time because the Miami is chasing a playoff spot and a home playoff spot at this point they can't afford to draw at home anymore so i think they're going to try to go for it at some point while drawing and i think maybe legion catches them out and so i went with the legion win but i don't fully believe um next up we have another really really interesting matchup and that's louisville city versus sacramento republic which are The interesting conversation around this one is, will Sacramento rotate the team? Yeah, I locked Louisville here. You're about to see the weakest lineup in 
the history of the Sacramento Republic for this game. They've played some teenagers this year, so if you're not familiar with 17-year-old Santiago Suarez at center back, you're going to be after this game. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and that's great, but the Open Cup final is going to take precedence for this team, so like Louisville is going to romp to a win here, I suspect. You know that is going to be have like twenty shots on goal, and their XG is going to be like eight point nine, but somehow <laughs> they they don't score, and it ends up being like a one one draw, which would be absolutely amazing. Like I would sign up for that game as well. But I I think you're right. I think yeah. Blue City. Uh, this is like on paper without the Open Cup, this would have been a really exciting match to watch uh, for the competitiveness. Uh, but I think this is going to be a, a an interesting game to watch to see kind of who set. Uh, uh, Sac Republic has waiting in the wings and and you got guys who are wanting to put their name out there and, and play really hard to try and get, you know, maybe in their next contract. So this is going to be a very interesting match for other purposes, like John just said. So, but I, I, I still think Blue City is going to take it. Yeah. Even just looking at home form, Louisville has won their last seven games at home. You have to go back to May 21st when they lost, you know, to Monterey Bay to find their last defeat at home. And just with the Open Cup waiting in the wings um, against Orlando for Sacramento, I feel like this is just Louisville's game to win. Yeah, I'm, Louisville, all the same reasons that you guys said. Uh, next up, we have a Monterey Bay who slipped up in the last uh, match that I was pretty shocked about versus San Diego Loyal, who are also looking to get back on track. I went San Diego here. They have a way about them where they're very good at breaking down a team that can sit deep. And that is what Monterey is going to try to do to you. The way to beat Monterey is either to slice them on the counter like LA did last weekend, or to just have that extra bit of talent to do it in the settled block defense that they play and San Diego is just good enough to do it. So I think the loyal get over the line here. Yes. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Cause I think the, the reverse fixture was um, really impressive for Monterey Bay coming into San Diego and essentially San Diego getting a penalty. And that's the difference between a draw and a win. I thought that maybe a little bit of uh, unfortunateness for Monterey Bay, uh, Siaha, in goal for them has been performing pretty well uh, since he started for them. Uh, and he's, you know, up for it as well because he's a former loyal player wanting to prove his worth. Uh, I think this is going to be a tough one for them. Um, this one on paper probably looks, especially at the beginning of the year, looked like, all right, three points, chalk it up, let's move on. But I think it's going to be a, a really interesting game of, of can Monterey Bay hold, hold them off like they almost did in San Diego, which they might have the, the horses to at home. Um, but San Diego, I think, um, I think pulls this one out, uh, at same with John. So I think San Diego wins, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than maybe what the standings might dictate. Yeah. Even just looking ahead at, uh, San Diego's schedule, they just have two home games left and it's really important to kind of just kind of start performing well on the road, especially when you have San Antonio and trips to Sacramento as well, kind of left i think what's going to be really crucial here is that san diego really needs to get multiple goals on the board here each of their results they've gotten away from home this year they've scored multiple goals in so i feel like they can get maybe a two to one victory here for san diego to win 
Yeah, so I'm taking uh, Monterey Bay here. Um, there's something about them playing at home. And like I said earlier, it's hard to break down a team that is defensively sound as Monterey Bay. I think getting that little extra push at home, especially since the you know the away fixture for Monterey Bay was so close, like you mentioned, Alan. I do think that Monterey Bay has enough to get this one over the line. Um, so I'm taking what's probably going to be like a 1-0 win for Monterey Bay. Um, next up, we have uh, Colorado Switchbacks versus Phoenix Rising. Colorado Springs for me here. After a stretch where they give up, I think it was maybe like 20 goals in six games or something insane like that. They've kept two straight clean sheets. They've really added an element of discipline to what they're doing in terms of their shape and formation. Phoenix, like I was talking about earlier, is a little bit of a mess right now. So I think that the quality of Colorado Springs carries the win for them. Yeah, I went with Colorado Springs as well. Yeah, another team kind of getting into the tail end of their uh, just kind of home slate. They just have uh, three home games left, this being in the middle of a four-match home stand that they won the previous two 1-0, but uh, Colorado Springs gets another result on the board with a win. Yeah, I'm going Colorado Springs here, especially this one being in Colorado. The fans are going to get up for it. It's it's going to be a good one for the Colorado uh, faithful. Um, last up, I want to kind of join these two together because I know it's getting late into this uh, episode. I understand, but it's a mini topic in of itself. And it's Ford Madison coming into a murderer's row of the next three matches being against uh, at Union Omaha, at Greenville, and then having to play Chattanooga Red Wolves next week. But just, you know, Ford Madison taking on Union Omaha and Greenville back to back away. Who do we got for those, John? I was harsh in the fact that I picked Omaha and Greenville back to back. Gone to my head, I would say that despite how good Richmond has looked, Omaha and Greenville are the best two teams in this league. To have those matchups consecutively is really going to be a tall task for Madison. And I do think that they've been a bit unlucky relative to their performances, but I think that this just ends up as two losses for them. Yeah, especially the the Wednesday Saturday. This is it's not like they have them two weekends in a row. That's a really tough turnaround. So it's like you almost have to kind of prepare two game plans going in. Now they've had a week between Wednesday games. They haven't done Wednesday Saturday, Wednesday Saturday, um, but maybe not the most convincing game against North Carolina, drawing nil nil. I went with Omaha and Greenville on this one as well. Um, I, I think those two teams are just going to be playing better. And especially that the second half on Saturday, um, it, it's going to be tough to keep up with Greenville. Yeah, I went uh, Omaha Greenville as well. Omaha at home only has one defeat uh, all season. And that's just like a very good form to just run up against. And it's just tough to get by. And Greenville, I think, still will be looking to kind of rebound and everything. But yeah, uh, Omaha Greenville to take both results and put a little bit more pressure on Richmond for that top spot. Um, to answer Robert in the chat, I am also planning my uh, Paul Pogba uh, ransom video. Um, so I'm just kind of slowly preparing for that. 
Um, I, God, I feel really bad for Ford Madison because I do genuinely believe that they're a good team. I, I think if this had been the reverse that they were going to Greenville on Wednesday and going to Omaha on Saturday, that they would maybe get a win in Greenville. But with Omaha being first and then having to travel immediately to the humidity of South Carolina, I, it's so hard for me to imagine getting three points out of those two matches. Um, I also went Omaha and Greenville. Um, unless you guys have any burning topics about the USL that you really want to get off your chest. I think that might be it for tonight. Um, so let's go ahead. Uh, Ryan, what are some last thoughts for the folks? Yeah, just with uh, everything kind of getting back into the swing of things and uh, just work and stuff, always be sure to just kind of like take time to relax and everything. I'm actually taking a, a PTO day from work off this Friday to kind of have the four-day week and just kind of uh, recharge and relax. So definitely take time for yourself. Uh, Alan? Uh, I just want to personally thank John Philip Souza for uh, really pushing to get copyright laws changed in the United States to protect composers and, and their work and their intellectual property. So big shout out to John Philip Souza. I mean, shout out, no shout out for John Philip Sousa because he wrote marches and those suck. Marches um, are beautiful music. No. Um, Spanish marches are. Um <laughs> uh john yeah i'll go for uh two quick off-topic things here uh first and foremost with family in town i went and saw into the woods on broadway go see some local theater y'all like that stuff is fun musicals are nothing but a blast even if it's not something that you think is going to be your thing it's going to be a good time and then completely changing from there, I could not be more excited for Rings of Power this Friday. I've just been kind of casually tweeting Rings of Power randomly at various times <laughs> over the past week. Um, but yeah, I'm in the midst of the rewatch of the whole extended cuts of the original trilogy of Lord of the Rings. So could not be more hyped for that. Love that. Love that. Um, I've been doing pieces of music. I am going to go with California by David Maslanka. Um, another heater. It's a, it's a really good one. And let's see. Uh, I have an interesting teacher story, uh, something that they didn't prepare me for in college. I had a girl come up to me today, and she was like, hey, do you have a T-shirt? And I was like, why? And she was like, I peed myself. And I was like, all right. I don't know what to do with this information. So I told her to go to the like go to the bathroom and to come back after the class had ended and I would get her a band t-shirt. So that uh that's how I handled that. I that happened. That happened to me today. This is also the same girl that asked me last week if I was Australian, which was an interesting conversation I never thought I was going to have either. So yeah, middle school is awesome. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for uh, listening. 
this is back up on podcast. Um, finally, um, I did my job. Uh, thank you for everybody that yelled at me. I deserve that. So, um, thank you for everybody who watched it live. Thank you to everybody who's finally back with us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else this gets pushed out to. And for the last time tonight, Q Allen's voice. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week.